0: We have a busy show for you planned this week as we prepare to launch our fall 2023 DIY stock investment webinars. Tickets will go on sale at the end of the week, so get them fast. Aaron, will talk about to launch the show, his upcoming appearance on Money Talks with Michael Campbell, where he recommends three unique stocks. I will hit the mailbag this week and answer a question on Spin Master Corporation, symbol T-O-Y or toy on the TSX, a children's entertainment company that creates designs and manufactures via outsourcing and markets a diversified portfolio of innovative toys, games, products, and entertainment properties, including well-known names such as Paw Patrol, Bakugan, Kinetic Sand, Air Hogs, Hatchimals, Rubik's Cube, and Gund. The company announced a significant acquisition this past week, and a viewer wanted to know if, if this is a new buying opportunity. Next, in our Your Stock, Our Take segment, Brennan answers a question, from a viewer on Jameson Wellness, Inc., symbol J-W-E-L, on the TSX, which develops, manufactures, and distributes, as well as markets and sells natural health products, including vitamins, herbal, and mineral nutritional supplements for humans in Canada and the United States of America, as well as internationally. The business, which is posting strong revenue growth and pays a 3% dividend, sells a product designed to help improve your health. But can the stock improve your portfolio? Brennan will let you know. Last and not least, Brennan or Brett, one of the guys, who knows really? Let's be honest. Brett answers viewer question on Hive, digital Technologies symbol H-I-V-E or Hive on the TSX, a growth-oriented technology stock in the emergent blockchain industry. With a bit, no pun intended, of a resurgence in Bitcoin and blockchain-related businesses, Brett lets viewers know if Hive is a good option to participate in Bitcoin and or blockchain's future. Okay, let's get to the show. Welcome my co-host, Mr. Aaron Dunn and the killer bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Brennan and Breton. I don't even know their names. (laughs) The Breton Woods, Brennan.
1: Yeah, it sounds like Brett's sending me his slides here and I'm going to do Hive. Good idea. We'll flip.
0: Sure, let's do it. Let's see. (laughs) See, You (laughs) you guys just flip out those and see how you make out with that. Yeah. Uh, So Aaron, you just, uh, prior to this recording, you recorded an interview with uh, Michael Campbell to air this weekend, I believe on Money Talks, correct? How'd that go? Yeah,
2: it was good. It was good. Always, uh, Always a fun time. And obviously there's a lot to discuss, a lot happening in the markets right now. So people will be able to see that segment on the Money Talks podcast on Saturday. Um, but we, yeah, yeah it we drops. Then other than the all-
0: three stocks, what did you talk about?
2: So we talked, you know, really obviously about the the current market environment, which is typically how we would we would we would start the show. Um, but then just a li- also a little bit about our our webinars upcoming, and then just about mm-hmm. some of the the themes that would be or things that we'll be talking about within the webinars. But just on the specifics, um, you know, rising interest rates, how that impacts uh, investing strategy. We talked about. Um, one of the interesting things about the market right now is that it gives the appearance if you look at the headline numbers that the U.S. market has really recovered from last year uh, with the NASDAQ up about 29-30% right now. But if you dig into the numbers, you actually find that it's, it's more of a tale of two markets. So uh, the, the top seven companies in the NASDAQ, the, the mega cap seven, so this is going to be Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, um, Apple, Meta. Nvidia, and Tesla, if you just take those top seven companies, they account together for $11 in market cap. Um, That's half of the NASDAQ. So there's 2,500 companies on the NASDAQ. The top seven companies account right now for about half of the market value. Well, those seven companies are up on average from the start of the year, 97%, compared to 30% for the whole index. So that means if you take those seven out, the rest of the other companies, almost 2,500 companies on average have, have lost money this year. So, it, you know, you really, when you look at the, the market return, it's, 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 you're really looking at the return of, of the seven top companies. Now, obviously some companies within that other group, that the, the smaller group, the other, you know, 2,493 companies, um, some of them are well, others not. But on average, they're actually, they're down in the double digits this year. Um, Canada, you know, the TSX about flat. So, we talked a little bit about that, um, some like what that means to investors in terms of you have these seven companies, one way or another, you really should have some exposure to them. So, we talked about one of our recommendations in that group, um, a little bit about how it's critical for Canadians to have some exposure to US stocks. Um, We talked to a lot of Canadians that are just invested 100% up here in Canada. And the Biggest reason that they give is why well, don't want the currency risk, right? But we've showed in the past that the currency risk, avoiding currency risk, is not worth um, the lack of like the 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 opportunities that you miss out on by investing in the U.S. Right? We're so focused up here in Canada on resources and the big six banks, um, resources and financials being sixty percent of our market. Uh, technology being almost an insignificant part of our stock market. Whereas in the U S you just have much better diversification breadth of opportunities um, and certainly so much more in the technology space. So we talked a little bit about that. We talked about valuations for small caps, large caps, comparatively how that has changed Um, just recently this year, how small caps are now actually trading at a, a sizable discount to large caps for really, you know, the first time in uh, almost 20 years for almost all of the last 20 years, it's been the opposite. So again, what does that mean for investors? Um, but then, you know, obviously we were talking about the webinars. We have our webinars upcoming. We have our, our DIY webinar, which is really, you know, we're providing education. We're also providing individual stock picks. Um, last year at the webinar, we recommended Hammond Power. Uh, that is up 250%. And, you know, Hammond was just a boring, Company, manufacturing company that manufactures transformers. I mean, nobody really cared about it when we picked up coverage. Um, but, you know, it's all about the profile of the stock. And what we were looking at was a profitable growing business with a growing backlog, solid balance sheet and a great valuation. And, you know, that's why we recommend And it. it's been one of, one of the top performers out there. Um, you know, again, we can never recommend. We're going to be coming out with more recommendations that are upcoming DIYs. Um, for a starter portfolio, we can never guarantee that any of these companies are going to produce 250% return over the next year. But what we do say is that the more you invest in that profile of company, that profitable, growing, um, well-capitalized business with a, with a clear and achievable growth plan, the better positioned you are to, to generate those types of returns in the future, either this year or next. So it was a good show. Um everybody should tune in on Saturday. And of course the DIY events coming up as well. Anybody who's interested. Yeah. And we'll
0: have information on those when we um, either next week or this week when we uh, message out or send out this podcast as well. And we'll post them on the YouTube channel as well. All right. Well, let's, we, you want to move on to some of the viewer questions. Um, I can get to the first one that was on spin master. I'll share my screen here. Uh, I've got a presentation on that. We'll see if it actually works. Uh, Probably not, but, you know, we will see if it does work. All right. Here we go. Can you guys see that now? You're good. Okay, good to hear. Okay, I'm going to look at Spin Master here. Uh, symbol is toy, appropriately so, on the TSX. Uh, $36.65 is what it trades at. $3.8 billion market cap. They're a children's entertainment company. They create, design, and manufacture. Their manufacturing is all outsourced. And they market diversified portfolio of innovative toys, games, products, and entertainment properties. They are best known for some award, award-winning brands, including Paw Patrol, Bakugan, kinetic sand, air hogs, hatchimals, rubik's cube and gund many names that i recognize um, uh, from you know that we've given presents to our kids in in those areas and you know some of the names like rubik's cube have been around for for basically ever in, in the toy arena so what brought us to the question today? Well the company executed on an acquisition on October 11th, Spinmaster reported a sizable strategic acquisition. They acquired US-based Melissa and Doug, which are not just two people it's a company and they specialize in early childhood toys with high quality offerings of open-ended creative and development wooden toys but primarily which will be complementary to Spin Master's existing portfolio. Let's look at that transaction. The price tag, the full purchase was about $1.1 billion, composed of $950 million. These are U.S. dollars in upfront cash considerations and approximately $150 million in contingent consideration based on certain financial targets for the year 2024 fiscal and 2025 respectively. Uh, the 950 million upfront is to be funded through 450 million of cash uh, from the balance sheet. Spin Master holds roughly Canadian 758 million uh, in cash prior to the acquisition, with debt of just 66.9 million. And the approximate there's pr- approximately 500 million of debt financing as well in this transaction. We do not know the acquisitions or Melissa and Doug's full debt position or balance sheet position but Spinmaster will be in a net p- debt position post acquisition in all likelihood it should not be an onerous one given the strength of its capital structure and strong cash flow heading heading into the deal now for their for the company's part Melissa and Doug generated approximately 489 million of revenue US and approximately 90 million of EBITDA in 2022 This translates to a purchase price or EV to EBITDA multiple of 10 and a half pre-cost synergies, which are about 25 to 30 million. Um, If we assume a midpoint to those, the uh, post-synergy EV to EBITDA multiple paid is estimated to be in the range of about 8.1 times their 2022 EBITDA. The transaction should close in the first quarter of the coming fiscal year, um, and the synergies should come through by the end of 2025, 2026, I believe. Uh, let's look at the valuations here quickly. Following the announced transaction based on the consensus forward EPS estimate in the range of $2.69, uh, Spin Master trades with an EV EBITDA multiple of 5.3 times and a PE of 13.59. Some comparables here. Um, there's you know, it, it's hard to have a direct comparison, larger companies like Mattel and Hasbro. Um, they have, you know, about, Mattel is about 17.5 PE, Hasbro's 14.7. But the sector generally trades at about 11.2 times multiple, whereas Spinmaster is about 13.8 right now. So Spinmaster is above the average um, track record of long term growth is likely Well, uh, why you can see this and some quality established brands. And they had that net cash balance sheet. Now our take on it, spin master has a well-run business and a strong Canadian has been a strong Canadian growth story. If we go back to 2015, the stock has more than double or approximately doubled in value since that time. But over the past five years, the stock has been basically flat. This is likely due to the fact that normalized EPS over that period between, uh, now and 2017, um, is essentially been flat. The company had a spike in 2021 and in particular 2024 in terms of earnings, but the nature of its business is one of constant need for innovation. The goal to find the next great toy or toy line is always there. Uh, A hit can boost earnings significantly. A miss can hit earnings. A spin master has shown a knack for hitting more than missing and has come, and has come, um, this is, it's come along with great current and legacy cash-producing brands that it's put under its umbrella, which is how it has survived and you know thrived, created a great cash balance sheet, cash-rich balance sheet in a tough business uh, that helped fund the Melissa and Doug acquisition. It appears like a smart uh, and um, kind of a less miss and more hit business in in the long term, or it's more of a sorry, more of a hit. It's less of a hit and miss business is what I'm trying to say. But due to the fickle hit and miss nature of the toy industry overall and the lower recurring model of these businesses, the below average multiples in terms of this company and the sector relative to what the market trades at, they're likely here to stay. Uh, Toy Spinmaster offers reasonable value, but the earnings on a quarter to quarter and even year to year basis will likely always fluctuate. While we admire the way the business is run, it's just too difficult to forecast profitability with a high degree of certainty with a given year or even a two to three year period. We monitor it. Our kids love their toys, but we're not buying it at present, despite what look like reasonable valuations and what looks like a reasonable acquisition. Right. The acquisition,
2: I mean it, it does look interesting. And this is a uh, this is what we talk about with having a net cap cash balance sheet, especially when you see market weaknesses. It does provide companies with the opportunity to go in and and purchase competitors and buy up market share that way. You know, I will have to say, I do say, one point one billion dollar acquisition. That's that's a big deal relative to the size yeah. of yeah Spin Master's market cap, which is about just under four billion. So you know, there's risk with that, right? When you're buying such a large entity the the seller always knows more about it than the buyer and there's the risk of integration and 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 you know financially the transaction not turning out the way it was initially expected so that's something that investors would want to watch but i agree with your analysis it's it's an interesting company the fundamentals overall overall look good but it's just really hard to know what's going to happen financially with the company on a year to year basis given how that that industry operates
0: Yeah, and I had a slide in there uh, pulling up the 10 year revenue growth on the company in US dollars. If you look back to December 2023 or 2013, it had about 539 million in revenues. Today, trailing months is 2.36 billion. So great growth there. But um, halfway through that, about in December, as at the year end 2018, they had 2.2 billion and it's really today, five years later is just 2.3. So they've really kind of flattened out. Uh, they had a spike up in last year and the year before, but they've kind of flattened out. If you look at that four or five year period there, uh, between 2018 and today, um, and that's kind of on a gross profit basis, they're roughly flat, slightly above so uh they've been able to generate strong cash flow but pr- to produce top line growth really hasn't been there. Um and and you know they they always have that you have that hit and miss and, and toys uh, kids are fickle like they can love Paw Patrol can be the greatest thing for example in this two or three or one year given period and then nobody could want anything to do with Paw Patrol you know and it could it could be a toy that's completely off the shelves or maybe it will be there's some toys I mean, it's hard to get a Barbie that lasts like 50, (laughs) it's probably going to last a hundred years, like an iconic brand like that. But I mean, they have a Rubik's cube, which, you know, there's probably not a ton of growth there, but they're probably going to milk some cash flows for that over a long term period. Uh, This brand, uh, Melissa and Doug, um, you know, we have a number of their products in-house already. I mean, it's kind of puzzles and toys maybe longer lasting. It's well thought of in the, the, you know, the U S Canadian parent community. Uh, so, you know, maybe that's a way of smoothing out and not having the hit and miss type, um, fluctuation that you can see in earnings with a business like this. But I mean, it does look like a solid purchase. Um, if they could get like a Mattel type valuation, then you could have earnings growth over the next two years uh, you know, and, and you could have a valuation re-rating potentially to like the 17 times where Mattel is, but the sector overall actually trades below, uh, where spin master trades today and likely because it's difficult to sustain. You don't have a recurring toy that just everybody buys every year. You have to love that toy. You have to continue to, uh, it has to be in, right? Like it has to be, it's like fashion in some degrees, I mean, toys, It can become a toy that, oh, you don't want to have, for example, Paw Patrol anymore, right? Like no kid wants that. And then suddenly, you know, it may be a great toy, but it's not in. We're not buying it this year. So that that is one thing that can happen to this business. And that's something that for like, how do we factor that into a model or any type of future cash flow? It's just really difficult other than to say we know that this will be a company with lumpy earnings. I got to say they've done a great job with in innovation, like with the Hashimals and all that. Like they, they they come out with winners year after year after year. Um, so you know you're betting on management and the team there to continue to innovate. If they can, then it trades at reasonable valuations. It's just uh, it's it's very hard to predict that going forward. Other than to say you're investing in this management team, they've done well in the past. Um, I think they'll do well in the future, and I guess that's what you would go on in this business. And maybe that's less tangible than we typically like. Yeah, is what I'm and like, to say. Th-
1: things change, and like this is something that I realized not too long ago. Like I don't know how you guys ended up uh, getting your your teaching your kids how to ride a bike, um, but these new glider bikes, like like training wheels, are kind of almost becoming a thing of the past. Where you know I use training wheels to learn how to ride my Still. bike. Still. Yeah, I've got training wheels on my bike. No, I do not. Um, But, you know, seeing my my sister's kid, you know, Mm -hmm. she doesn't want anything to do with the training wheels. She's basically learning the balance with her glider bike. And, you know, is she even going to go to training wheels? Will she kind of skip? Will she go right up to almost, you know, the bike without training wheels? It's just it's interesting to see how things change when, you know, I was on training wheels till I was like 13 or 14 and
0: just 28, <laughs> nine. <laughs> no, but anyway, yeah, no, it's true. Things, Th- change, things do know. change. And, and you know, there's, and they've found a way to innovate. And I think this is a good buy. Like I, I mm-hmm. think that it's well thought of. I just, I'm not sure the growth path, you know, it, maybe it continues to grow, but um, you know, they, the, the one analysis that I saw on it was looking for six to 8% accretion to earnings. Well, they paid about eight times EVD EBITDA, EBITDA. So, you know, they're paying a fair to, you know, it's a, it's going to be a long payback period on this, you know, it would likely seem, but, um, you know, if you've got a brand that if Melissa and Doug 50 years from now continues to grow over that period, I mean, it can be a great purchase, obviously. Right. So uh, it does seem like a well thought of brand and, uh, if they take it over and continue to grow it, it could be a good situation for them long-term. All right, let's get to our next company. I think Brett was going to look at Hive Digital. It is Hive Digital now, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it is Hive Digital now. Digital technologies, I should specifically say technologies.
0: All right, you take a look at them, and we'll get into it.
3: All right, Hive Digital Technologies, symbol H I V E, or Hive on both the TSX Venture as well as the Nasdaq is a growth-oriented technology stock in the emergent blockchain industry. The company's revenue is currently dominated by its Bitcoin mining activities, but it is also working in the high-performance compute or HPC space at this time. The stock is up 94% year-to-date, trading at 407 Canadian and $3 US at roughly $360 million Canadian market cap or $260 million US, but it is highly volatile, by so by the time this release, that is completely wrong. So, why am I really covering this? Well, Bitcoin-related stocks have seen a a bit of a pickup in attention recently, as the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust and both GPTC on the OTC won its lawsuit to convert its fund into an ETF, and the appeal date has passed. For the SEC appeal date has passed last week, so effectively this just sets the way for a spot Bitcoin ETF in the U.S., which opens up Bitcoin as an investment to more investors, as some are restricted to certain things. And it obviously is normally the institutional, they're restricted to exchange rate of funds, et cetera, instead of buying the actual underlying. So it's really a decent time to look at, is there value in the space? So I will be focused on the Bitcoin operations that is just the lion's share of the company's revenues at this time. But they have been dipping their toes into HPC since the Ethereum mining is no longer an option for use of its GPUs. And they've been also buying more GPUs as of recently. The company is expanding these operations in light of the ai boom which requires a large amount of compute specifically ai gpus but they've not really made an impact on the financials at this time and you're probably they just invested in some more recently so you might start to see it by the end of this calendar year but even then i don't think it's going to be a significant portion so a quick run-through of the basic structure of Bitcoin mining as it confuses many people, but it's in fact very simple in how it really works financially. We're not going to really worry, worry too much about the technical aspects, just more of the financial aspects. So Bitcoin mining is done on application-specific integrated circuits, commonly known as ASICs, which are really just... Computing hardware built to be optimized for a specific application or algorithm, which in this case is the SHA-256 algorithm for Bitcoin. It's a general encryption algorithm. It's used for other things, but the most notable application of it is Bitcoin. So I will note, just as a side note, uh, you can't actually run that it on anything Practically, not just ASICs, there's been people who mine Bitcoin on the original Game Boy that was released in the late 80s, to you could run it on a smart fridge, but obviously commercial and uh, corporate entities are not doing it because it's not economical at all. So a quick look at a simplified structure for any corporate Bitcoin mining operation. There's really three requirements for mining. ASICs, which can be seen as a capital investment. Electricity, which can be seen as an ongoing per unit increase. And then the building and location, which range from proper data centers to dedicated with dedicated infrastructure to modified shipping containers, and it varies drastically on the organization. So marginal profit really is when Bitcoin received is valued at more than the electrical cost. And then overall profit is once the sum of the marginal profits cover the ASIC and the data center costs, and as well as any additional ho- overhead. So your SGNA. For Bitcoin to Actually, the Bitcoin that is actually received is really dependent on the percentage of hash rate or the calculation that the miner contributes to the total network, which is constantly going off over time. It is quite variable. I'll throw up a quick picture in post to show how variable it is day to day. The exact number of Bitcoins that they will receive as well is an exact percentage because it's probabilistic. But the numbers we're dealing with are generally large enough to where the percentage of hash rate is close enough to the actual Bitcoin received. So each Bitcoin block is mined every 10 minutes, and it has a subsidy, so a fee which you will receive of 6.25 Bitcoin, as well as fees that are paid by the users for the transactions. And the subsidy, which that 6.25 Bitcoin is right now, it's cut in half every about four years. It becomes a bit shorter than that, but four years for all intents and purposes, with the next halving being due around April 2024, which effectively cuts revenue in half. For every single miner across the board, across all the network, because the fees that are paid by the transaction is normally at most, it's a few percentage. You last let This last summer, you did see it go up to about 10 to 15%, but that was very short lived. But you saw that make headlines because it was a big deal. So really, why am I explaining this before even touching on the company? The reason is risks and what the company can actually control. They can't control the price of the ASICs as they Roughly correlate with the price of Bitcoin at the time and how efficient they are. They can influence but not control the price of electricity by selecting the region, the building certain infrastructure. They can, of course, control the type of in- infrastructure, which influence in- influences efficiency, and most importantly, they are at the whim of the price of Bitcoin, which is extremely vol- volatile. as you can see from the chart above, that's a five-year chart, and it's ranged from about six k to upwards of sixty-eight k, and. E- there's a high of last year or 20, late 2021 to so about two years ago now of 6,000 to about a low of 16,000 over the past couple of years. So it's very, very, very volatile to say the very least. So moving on to the actual company, per its last monthly update, which most public Bitcoin mining companies release. So you generally actually have a good idea of their financials before they release, at least on the revenue side. So for the September, the company produced 259 Bitcoin at an average of 3.69 exahash per second. If including its GPU operations, which might other cryptocurrencies at this time, and they're looking to convert those into using for their HPC compute, they produce 269.5 Bitcoin for the month and 806.5 Bitcoin for what will be their fiscal Q2 2024, assuming that the Audit doesn't change it or their end of quarter actually changes something because you will see that. Normally, it's not a big adjustment, but I've seen that many times for cryptocurrency miners where they do end up saying, oh, it overlapped a bit too much on this quarter for our calculations. It gets lowered by 10. It gets raised by 10. It's not uncommon to see. Unfortunately, unlike other miners, Hive doesn't release its costs in its monthly reports. Quite a few other ones do, which I always like to see because then you get a more up-to-date financial as it's going. And it's obviously extremely volatile, so we want the most up-to-date information as possible but assuming the costs are similar to the last quarter it had eighteen point seven thousand costs per bitcoin so they are currently making profit on a per bitcoin basis but that's also an adjusted measure as well which i will get into shortly but assuming that they're in the same ballpark as this last quarter it had an ebit of 2.9 million and 5.3 million when adjusted so they are making profit right now at least on these basis i will note as well Depreciation for Bitcoin mining, miners is relatively meaningless, which is why you'll see a big depreciation adjustment out. As the ASICs valuation, which is where this depreciation value is coming from, is more, it should more be looked at as a fair value, as you can sell these used, used ASICs at nearly the same price as the new ASIC, assuming it's in working condition. You do have some that obviously will break down, but that's a relatively low amount. So, gap earnings per share aren't really a good metric. Is similar in how REITs—you don't really want to look at gap, but you do should. You should still consider it and why you are looking at these adjustments. You really need to go into the details. But even the adjusted EBITDA very volatile: five point three million last quarter, negative one point four the prior, negative one point nine, positive twenty-two point three, positive eleven. There's just no consistency quarter over quarter. Even after adjusting, they're adjusting on a lot of stuff. And it is still very, very volatile. I want to make that extremely clear. So moving to the balance sheet, the company has a net debt and leases position of about 30 million and is holding about 59.5 million in digital currencies, almost entirely Bitcoin. They have small amounts in, I think it was Ethereum Classic, which they're currently mine on their GPUs, but nothing substantial. So if they were to liquidate these digital assets, the company would have about a net cash position of 29.6 million, not saying they will, but many other companies have. And you'll see that quickly come to the cash. So it's not an entire useless metric looking at net cash plus digital currency because it is a liquid enough market. You could probably see it somewhere as a level one equity security that you'll see on a company's balance sheet, something like that or trading security, something in that manner. So moving on to valuation, which I specifically added a dozen asterisks to the adjusted EBITDA, EV EBITDA, for, as I'm specifically going to give them a generous adjustments to the generous uh, but to create a generous valuation to make a point. So first off, we use an adjusted enterprise value which treats Bitcoin as cash, as I was saying before with net cash. It's not ridiculous, but it is abnormal and it is extremely generous compared to a normal valuation. But looking at an adjusted EBITDA is the problem. As I mentioned before, ASICs generally trade on their fair value. So depreciation doesn't mean much because the actual value doesn't follow the depreciation and that's generally an issue with computers because they depreciate quite quick. So you have a very front loaded depreciation expense, which doesn't match. So if you're buying a ton of compute or any data centers up, anything like that, it is depreciated quite quick, but that might not match the fair value. And that's a general issue with accounting, but it's specifically notable here. But the issue is their adjustment also removed the effects of a pyramid, which is meant to bring it to a closer to the fair value price. So the effectively removed the fair value consequences, as well as the accounting consequences of a major cost. So it significantly inflates their adjusted EBITDA. And still, at that, the company is still trading at 9.4 times adjusted EBITDA of their adjusted enterprise value. Extremely generous, and that is still expensive. So if we compare it to trailing free cash flow, it's roughly 90 times as its own Quirk to the metrics, but even then you can probably have a better idea that the company is extremely expensive at this time. So our take to summarize the Bitcoin mining industry as a whole is just, you're really purchasing operationally leveraged Bitcoin, which results in higher equity volatility, but potentially higher returns than Bitcoin itself, which obviously traders love. But as a long-term investor, the risks are just astronomical. Hydra is an extremely volatile in price and fundamentals, as they are industry price takers, and even under a generous valuation metric, the company is still expensive. So I'll open up to you guys if you guys have any comments at this time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I it's it's interesting when you look at how the 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 crypto mining or Bitcoin mining space works. Obviously, it's not mm-hmm. just Bitcoin; there are other cryptos as well, like Ethereum, and each one works a little bit differently, but. Is it 21 million coins is actually Bitcoin is set up so that it once it hits twenty one million, there's not going to be any more coins. So nobody's yeah. going to be able to mine anything after that. No, right? you
3: you you can mine it. So they'd receive those fees, but they would mm-hmm. that's when the subsidy runs out. So the subsidies effectively you can see there's like a monetary policy mm-hmm. with a set limit. So right now I'll quickly bring it up. Um So right now there is, where are we? There is 19.5 million Bitcoin outstanding. And it goes to about, to hit that 100% supply, you're going out to February 8th, 2140. Right. But to get 95% supply, we're only in 2026. It significantly slows down because the subsidy is halved in every last, yeah, years. as you said,
2: yeah. every four years it halves. So even though we've got you know what, um, seventeen years before you can't mine Bitcoin anymore, ah, as no. we get close, oh, one hundred and seventeen 100. years, or oh, so, one hundred and seventeen. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Okay. until you no
3: longer receive the subsidy.
2: Oh, so it's twenty-one forty. Yes, twenty-one forty. the Exponential. Yeah, yeah okay. Quickly. This is it's having next in here. april
3: right mm-hmm. it has yes. next in april roughly it, it's an estimate always yeah. whenever you okay. see those dates i don't know if you guys can see it here i'll put it up more visible on the podcast but you can see down here this is just a dashboard for bitcoin um down here under future bitcoin supply where did it move it so You'll see 95% by March 18th, 2026, 99 by 2035. But we're already at 93% total supply. Does really, the unit numbers of stock, does 7% dilution really change much of the valuation? No, it really doesn't. It might a bit, but it won't matter much. So like dilution for Bitcoin is more or less done. And the miners will still exist because they will still get their fees, which we can see somewhere up here right now we're looking at a two percent fee to the total reward that they get which includes the mm-hmm. subsidy so right now fees which they get from transactions is only two percent so if they were to receive the same amount of dollar value as they were now when the subsidy removes you would at least need a 50 times increase in value in bitcoin to give an idea 50
2: five, zero times increase. yes five
3: zero times so you would be looking at a bit over a million a
2: coin bit over a million a coin interesting mm-hmm. kathy Woods would love that i'm sure she would and then ethereum just to kind of touch on ethereum because that's the second biggest crypto coin right mm-hmm. yeah um mine differently now they were going to change or they did change they the did. way that crypto is mine they already did and i have yes. heard that that is was basically completely changed the 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 profitability or what was in it for the miners. So is it still it, profitable then to no, mine? You,
3: you actually cannot mine you the, can. what is known as Ethereum. So this happened last September, they switched to proof of stake, which is effectively mm-hmm. the how people can make money off of it now is they give it out for lending kind of mm-hmm. it's a very, that's very oversimplified. But that's how you can see it. And they get about 4% interest, I think, on their
2: staking. Versus so miners can no longer more do. Return on your assets is that? Yeah, effectively that's what it is. Plus then the price change. Okay, okay. Yeah. So Ethereum as a mining currency now it's is gone. Not really. It's no, com- no you it's a financial it. currency, right? Yeah. And then I don't know. You know, I I do remember looking at a breakdown of all the top coins, and once you get past you know, the fifth biggest coin, their market mm-hmm. shares are pretty much negligible, right?
3: Yeah. So you can Where look it, can- at. Uh, I don't have it up. How put it up? But there's. Some people will really use Bitcoin dominance uh, metrics, and it's uh, about fifty percent of the entire cryptocurrency market. But then a big subset of that is also stable coins, which are really mm-hmm. just deposited U.S. currency for the most part. There's issues with them that I'm not going to go into right now. Right, but right. That's it's a complicated space. It's, it it it's is it's very very definitely
2: complicated. a lot
1: to know. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: for but sure. You you just really know Bitcoin's the majority of it at this time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I was actually uh, just on YouTube last night and came across a Vice documentary about the uh, the one coin lady who's like supposedly the, the coined herself as the crypto queen where they ended up raising, I don't know. I thought that was you, Brian. Billions and billions. No, no. I wouldn't be on the podcast right now if that was me. But uh, no, she ended up stealing billions and billions and then disappearing. Um, anyways, I, I saw the documentary and it's just like, all I could think is these poor people who Mm -hmm. had no idea what they were investing in. Um, Yeah. I just, you got to feel bad for some people that are just trying to chase the hype and you know, that's how you're going to
2: end up. Well, in in one respect, yes, you you have some empathy for people that get caught off guard, but on the other, I mean, if you're just going to go. A fool in his money. Yeah. Like how (laughs) much do you, if I, if I go, if I, you know, put a mortgage on my house and then go to Vegas and throw it on the crap table and lose it. I mean, Uh you know, I wouldn't lose too much sleep for me because that's just not a wise thing to do, right? So,
0: Yeah, the
3: fraud in the entire cryptocurrency space has a lot of aspects to it as well. I love personally diving into it. Mm -hmm. I know you guys watch. Well,
2: there's many, many (laughs) examples that you can dive into, right? Yeah. 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 Like I even just
3: saw
1: one the other day about Logan Paul um, where basically they... they were going to talk about, or they talked about this cryptocurrency on their podcast. And one of the co-hosts on the podcast were like, it sounds like you guys colluded to talk about this on the Someone's podcast. Someone's watching CoffeeZilla, then, which I will yes in I was the watching description Coffee-Zilla. as well. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, we didn't collude. We didn't collude. There's literally a video afterwards that comes out of them colluding right before they go live um, and, and making this podcast, basically saying we need to buy more of this coin. It's just you know, such a sleazy, uh, or, you know,
0: so they owned it ahead and then exactly. they, they, and they have millions of followers and then people exactly. bought it and they dumped exactly. it and they, they dumped it. So it's like how it's probably a liquid relatively speaking. Too. Exactly. Very. Exactly. It's so impressive. Like yeah. Well, they, it's should horrible. should
1: they not be in jail? Well, and this is what Coffeezilla, who I was listening to and Brett saw the same video is saying is like arguing, you know, these guys I don't even think jail? it's an
0: argument to be honest. But yeah. Well, it is I mean, why guess, aren't they in jail? Yeah, you know, like that's yeah, the it's thing. True. So, it's true. You know, well, well regulation take, like, typically takes ten years to catch up yeah, at least. And, so maybe in ten years somebody will prosecute by them, then and they'll they get be, a slap on the wrist. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let's move on to this. This is uh, an interesting company, Jameson Wellness, J W E L. I, I think they had a bit of a they, they pulled back on their earnings and estimates and revenue estimates for the year, but there is still growth. They have interesting growth, I believe, in China and uh, in the U.S. Um, sure. that's come online. And, uh, you know, the multiples look interesting, but we tasked Brennan, the young Padawan, to take a look at the uh, company, and he's going to go through it and pays yes. a 3% yield right now, too.
1: Yeah, exactly. So Jameson Wellness Inc., uh, J-W-E-L on the TSX, currently trading at a price of around $25. I believe it's actually up a little bit today as we're recording this with a $1.04 billion market cap and a forward dividend yield of about 3%. So they actually just recently increased that uh, dividend slightly. Uh, by a couple cents, their quarterly dividend, but I'll get into that. Uh, so Jameson Wellness develops, manufactures, distributes, markets, and sells natural health products, including vitamins, herbal, and mineral nutri- uh, nutritional supplements for humans in Canada, the United States of America, and internationally. Uh, I have some of their uh, their vitamins in my own uh, uh, cupboard in my bathroom, <laughs> of course. Um, so. <laughs> Moving on. Why are you laughing, Ryan? I don't
0: know just the way you said it. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, I am uh, a consumer of their vitamins. Um, so looking at uh, a few of their Q2 highlights, this does this slide does come directly from the company's investor presentation. Uh, I'm just going to go over a few of the highlights here. So number two, on July 19th of 2022, the company acquired a company called NutraWise Health and Beauty Corp. Which sells supplements under the U Theory, uh, or yeah, the U Theory brand, uh, for approximately 265 million Canadian. Uh, now, the acquisition was made uh, essentially to provide the company with an expansion plan into the U.S., uh, and they noted in Q2 that new SKUs have began to ship. Now, as well, number three, the company. Also, recently acquired the assets of its own Chinese distributor for uh, Canadian $26 million uh, in May of 2023. Uh, So, that's, you know, they're looking for more growth in China there. Uh, And the last thing that I wanted to mention here was just the number six down at the bottom. Uh, The company recently increased their dividend from 17 cents uh, per quarter to 19 cents per quarter, uh, which is great. The company has been increasing it every single year uh, since 2018. Now, looking at the actual financials here, uh, the company's Q2 2023 uh, results uh, were strong uh, with revenue up 50% year over year to 167.8 million. Now, this was due to about 4% organic growth for the Jameson brands, uh, as well as uh, its acquisition. Uh, and the sale of U Theory products uh, in the U.S. So that was, you know, primarily what the growth was uh, r- related to. Now, adjusted EBITDA was up 27% year over year to 31.1 million, uh, and we saw basically a bit of a reduce in the EBITDA margin here due to lower gross profit margins as well as the integration of U Theory. Uh, and adjusted diluted EPS was flat year over year at 32 cents. Uh, the balance sheet does look healthy with net debt of about $253.7 million and a net debt to adjusted EBITDA multiple about 1.9 times. So uh, as Ryan said, the company did recently just kind of uh, bring down their guidance a little bit. So uh, looking forward, uh, the company reduced the upper end of their guidance from revenue growth of 28 percent now down to about 26 percent at the at the high end, as well with adjusted EBITDA margins now uh, between 13 to 16 percent, rather than the previous 13 to 18 percent that they were guiding to towards. And management noted that the reason for the trimming of top end guidance uh, is due to post pandemic trends the company is seeing in Canada and internationally as certain retailers manage. Uh, their inventory, and international markets manage uh, through the backlog of uh, new product regulatory approvals. Um, Looking at adjusted EPS here, uh, this was also revised downward, and it wasn't just the upper end here. Uh, uh, They moved it to a range of $1.56 to $1.63, which represents uh, about flat to five percent growth, and previously they were looking at about five to eleven percent growth. So this is a substantial, uh, you know, decline here revision. And on a forward basis, uh, utilizing uh, their adjusted EPS uh, guidance, uh, the company trades at about sixteen times uh, forward adjusted diluted earnings. Um, And based on its quarterly dividend of 19 cents per share or about 76 cents per year, uh, the company's forward payout ratio is expected to be about uh, just under 50%. So to conclude here, I think that Jameson is interesting. The company is guiding to grow revenue at a great double digit pace this year, but reduce the upper end of its guidance and adjusted earnings profitability lower. Now the balance sheet remains healthy. The company has increased the dividend every year since 2018 paying an attractive 3% forward yield right now with a healthy payout ratio. the company appears to trade a, a reasonable multiple and has a runway of growth opportunities in both the. US China and internationally um, but essentially I think that it's crucial here just to see and dig in a little bit further uh, on the growth drivers uh, for 2024 to see if you know their end customers are you know getting that inventory down. Uh, and to see uh, what kind of growth we will be looking at to see if that adjusted earnings uh, multiple is uh, justified or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've been increasing that dividend, great dividend payer. Uh, love to see that over the long term. Um, yeah, I'll open it up to you guys.
0: I guess in terms of EPS growth, uh, it looks solid for like 2018. They had uh, 60 cents then 2019 74 on a normalized basis. A dollar two in 2020, dollar sixteen 2021, 2022, a dollar and now the trailing is a dollar eighteen. So it's the first time they've taken seen a step back in terms of per share earnings. Um, you know, I'd love to know their outlook. I, I guess they don't have a published outlook for 2024. It's just for this current year. Uh, if they if we saw they were looking for fifteen to twenty percent revenue growth, and you know, back to fifteen twenty five or something percent. EPS growth, then, you know, you can pay 15 times earnings for that. If, you know, they're going to stay on this like zero to 5% EPS growth rate. Um, you know, it, you know, it's probably fairly valued or you don't want to pay 15 times earnings or for it or anything above that. So if they can get back to the growth rate they had for about a four year stretch there as a public entity, they look great. You know, it could be a business to own. If not, it's not essentially is what I would the, the way I'd sum it up. Yeah. Aaron I was going to just say or to or an interesting defensive
1: company kind of, you know, uh, like there's a lot of uncertainty in the markets. I don't know if people mm-hmm. are just going to stop eating vitamins, um, you know, or I don't think. So. Yeah, maybe
0: not, but I mean, there is some discretionary <laughs> in there too. Like some people, you know, it's not um, like an iron supplement. I don't think that they're selling that you need because you need have an iron deficiency. I think it's, I think I want to, have you know better collagen so or i yeah. think i want my i want eyebrows to grow faster so i'm going my to hair. take this i want vitamin d or, yeah, my or, or hair there's a nail out. yeah or you want or you want somebody wants more calcium but i mean if if you know all, all a lot of these things if you do eat a balanced diet you can get them from right so mm-hmm. but you know like if they're doing that you know maybe people it is somewhat discretionary but probably not as discretionary as some other items like a. A fifteenth pair of shoes or something like that. Yeah. Although, you know, some people those aren't so discretionary. Then yep. Brennan's one of them. Yep. Top of shoes.
2: <laughs> no, I mean I'll I'll side with Ryan here. It's it's interesting. Fundamentals generally look pretty good. Historic growth is good, but now you know we've seen a hiccup in the in the earnings growth. Let's just, you know, see another quarter come out, get a revised update for uh for the next year. And see if they get back on track with the bottom line.
0: Yeah. And if you had 13 to, if you were trading 13, 15 times below market multiple and we thought they could grow 15 plus percent uh, going forward and the payout ratio is reasonable and we think they can pay down that debt reasonably, then it, it is interesting. Um, but, uh, you know, th- this is a hiccup in terms of per share earnings uh, for the growth rate this year. You're looking good revenue growth. Largely by acquisition, but you got to be able to drive that to per share earnings too. And uh, there are some margin compression here. And, uh, you know, we'd have to watch that going forward to see if we can have better cash flow, better earnings on the business. And if they are, then it could become interesting for sure. Yep. Anybody got some final comments? Are we good? I think we should be We're good. good. Watch Aaron this Saturday on Money Talks or listen to it, Money Talks podcast or radio. I think they've gone back on a radio station even. In- uh, somewhere. I uh, would have to look into that. Maybe we'll tweet it out or send it out in our uh, in our email for the show. All right. As always, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Um, if you're viewing this right now on YouTube, smash the subscribe button. Uh, if you're view- or listening to this on iTunes, rate and review us, obviously only positive reviews. Keep your questions coming into our Your Stock, Our Take, and we'll d- endeavor to answer your questions every week. And as always, I wish you profitable investing. Thank you.
2: Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.